You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Hey, Dan. Is there any interesting ways that you've taught about Black history in your classroom? When I was first teaching in my student teaching semester, um, I taught Oklahoma history. And one of the first topics I really like developed a full lesson on um, was one of the most interesting topics I think anyone studying history could develop a lesson on, which was the Tulsa race riots. Mm. Um, I'm originally from Tulsa and learned very little about it when I was in school. The Tulsa race riots were systematically hidden from history. Literally, like the articles about them in the, in the historical archive newspapers um, were cut out of the newspapers and hidden. And so it was it was not included in textbooks or anything else like that. And so when you talk of, and talk and think about black history, I think you often think about, you know, um, how much of it is excluded from the, the narratives and textbook accounts of uh, that are often given to students. And so teaching about the Tulsa race riots was like kind of my first foray into trying to investigate those types of things. That's interesting. One of the things I've noticed, you know, going through education uh, is kind of that uh, black history seems to be taught like maybe one month or in specific units rather than as a part of like, like integrated within the historical narrative. Um, and hopefully, you know, things start to change. And I feel like that we actually have a really great discussion. We have a great guest who's going to talk about doing black history better. Yeah. So today we have uh, LeGarrette King um, with us, who um, is going to share with us a little bit of his background. Can you tell us about yourself, LeGarrette? Uh yeah, um, so this is my uh, 16th year in education. Uh, the first eight years I spent as a social studies teacher um, in three states, uh, Texas, uh, Georgia, well, two states, Texas and Georgia, three schools, uh, Willow Ridge High School and Fort Bend Independent School District mm-hmm. uh, right outside of Houston, Texas, uh, Cedar Grove High School in the Atlanta, uh, Georgia area, and Booker T. Washington High School, which um is famous, uh, very historic, as it is the um, alma mater of Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Uh, yeah, so um, so I taught in Atlanta Public Schools for one year right before I went to the University of Texas to uh, get my Ph.D. in social studies education. It's always interesting to even think of the historical names of high schools. Um, I, I, I've often told my, my students, we often look to see which high schools are named after Booker T. Washington and, and where we can find high schools named after W.E.B. Du Bois, just mm-hmm. kind of yeah. as a connection to our curriculum. Yeah. And, and, um, one of these days, probably in the, um, um, far future, um, I'm going to do, um, a research study on like historic black high schools, right. You know, and, and, and the way these names have kind of, you know, constructed and, and how the the people in the community kind of connected to the to those particular schools. You know, that's it's also connects to my little intro story about the Tulsa race riots because the um, historic black high school in the area where the Tulsa race riots took place was also named Booker T. Washington High School. And I think um, being at Booker T. really um, kind of pushed me to go get my Ph.D. and become a teacher educator because. Um, 
you know, I was so excited. I'm like, I'm in the middle of downtown Atlanta, um, alma mater of Martin Luther King Jr. and other like really civil rights dignitaries of the city of Atlanta. And I'm excited. And the kids just weren't that excited, hmm. um, huh. you know, and and. And it hurt me because I'm like, hey, this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's like, okay, whatever. Like, like really? <laughs> like, really? Like, you know, you could be actually sitting, you know, where Dr. Martin Luther King sat, right? So um, it just kind of pushed me, you know, to say, okay, uh, what is this thing, you know, called Black History? And, 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 how, and, and how do students and parents and teachers and all these people kind of, you know, understand Black History? And how does it influence them, you know? What subjects did you teach in school, Legarrett? Oh, I taught all the social studies. So any social studies from um, world geography to U.S. history, world history, uh, AP psychology. Um, I taught that for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Economics and sociology. <laughs> so um, I taught the whole gamut uh, between my eight years of teaching. I always tell people, and I think this has come up on like three podcasts so far, but when people make the argument that all you need is more history classes to be a social studies teacher, I quickly point out to them uh, how many other subjects I taught and how history classes would not have prepared me to do that. <laughs> right, 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 right. And um, it's the same I tell my uh, students as well. It's, it's like social studies is social studies. So you may have a history degree, but not out of 10, you're going to probably teach world geography or economics. So let's dig in a little bit more into rethinking black history. Um, what are some uh, things that you've been doing research on? Yeah, so my larger research trajectory is really looking at the ways in which the public and private individuals read, interpret, and teach black history pedagogically, right? Um, and and, and uh, the notion of teach is kind of defined broadly, right? So it could be something as simple as teachers in the classroom teaching about black history or uh, the ways in which society teaches, um, teaches, about, teaches about black history, whether it's in the movies, whether it's the television shows, documentaries, um, Hallmark greeting cards, um, uh, billboards, you know, as such. Um, uh, and and a, a quick research study, I um, did a study on Glenn Beck and his notions of black history uh, in 2010. And many people may be surprised, Glenn Beck, right, in black history. But Glenn Beck, I believe in 2010, had a summer television series called Founding Fathers. Um, and he had two shows on, quote unquote, black founding fathers, right? So that was something that for the viewership at that time, he was at Fox News. So um, you know, the viewership, you would think, may not um, have really known a lot about, you know, black history in a particular point. Um, and this really interested me because I'm like, Glenn Beck, black history, something is going on here. right? Yeah. Um, and and um, it 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 kind of goes to show that, you know, not all black history is good black history. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, it is very complex in the ways in which we approach black history and teach black history in certain ways that um, help us kind of understand not just history, but about black people in the contemporary. So what, what were your main findings from that study? How was 
black history portrayed and like what could we potentially learn from it for teaching black history in other settings? Well, um, myself and um, my colleague Patrick Walmack wrote the um, book. Patrick is at the University of Maine now. Uh, he was at Clemson University as a graduate student when I was at Clemson. Uh, now I'm at the University of Missouri. But what we uh, found through uh, uh, the black history narratives that he presented through his Founder Friday shows is that uh, black history was presented through a bundle of uh, a bundle of solaces, meaning that. Yes, some of the narratives in which he was explaining and his guests were explaining was true, but the ways in which they were explaining it left out major details of those particular historical narratives, right? Um, Making it it seem as the black history that he was producing was very uh, uh, politicized, right, Uh, through a conservative lens. Um, and, 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 and we have to be very, you know, careful, um, in the ways in which we consume that. And, and lately I've been seeing the video being spread around a Facebook post and, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Glenn Beck is teaching about black history. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> and then, you know, you're just like, Hey, you know, wait a minute. Right. Like, you know, we really have to really look at this in a critical manner and really see how he's teaching it and what he's teaching it. Um, um, is 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 can be destructive. So so it is a two is is two things, right? So um, on one end, you want to laud you know someone like that, you know of 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 kind of bringing to full full notions of black founding fathers, right? Because when we think about blacks in the colonial period, we you know typically think about them as you know enslaved individuals, right? Right. Um, so the notion of a black founding father kind of presents itself as as part of this kind of agency of blackness during that time. But the ways in which Glenn Beck presented black founding fathers was through this Eurocentric perspective that states that, well, look, black people love the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they fought, you know, for uh, the British. They fought for the American colonies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in many respects, um, black founding fathers were not necessarily founding fathers for the U.S., but founding fathers for black America, for free blacks at the particular time, and setting up a separate country for um, um, enslaved blacks who would be free later, right? So, you know, those discrepancies are not necessarily explained throughout that show, right? And I would suspect my guess would be, which is, I feel like this is often, well, first, I think anytime we look at history, we should look at it with a critical eye, you know, um, look at sourcing and who we're getting it from. But anytime a highly politicized individual is, has a history program, we should probably look at it doubly through a critical (laughs) eye. Um, You know, dogmatism tends to uh, influence us a bit, but I, LeGarrette, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the biggest problems I've noticed in in um, the teaching of black history is that when it's put into the framework of a larger Eurocentric narrative, um, there's just a whitewashing of the, the natural conflicts that existed during the time. And and so what happens is it creates a narrative as if everyone was kind of on the same page and things are just going to work out instead of dealing with the real issues and problems from the time period and the, the fierce conflicts that existed in American history and paradoxes and 
and those things. And I would guess from what you're saying, Glenn Beck's show tended to um, kind of uh, whitewash it a little bit and try to make things seem like everyone was kind of on the same page. Is that is that kind of what you're getting at a little bit? Yeah, this whole notion that racism wasn't bad, right? Right. <laughs> it, 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 you, you know, and he used this notion of, well, yes, racism is bad and it should never happen, but it wasn't that bad, right? You know what I'm saying? Because, oh, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and the ways in which he presented it was like, there's no institutional racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, black people were treated fairly, particularly the ones that fought for the American colonies, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of get this notion of, um, you know, this kind of hiding, these bundled of silences that, um, you know, make this kind of progressive narrative um, possible for both whites and blacks. And, and, and one thing about black history is that uh, it is in nature oppositional to the traditional Eurocentric narrative. So the experiences of uh, those who would consider themselves white are not necessarily the um, experiences of those who consider themselves black, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's where the disconnect is. And that's hard for a lot of people because of our racial liberal um, ideas about togetherness and, um, um, you know, and this is one America or one, you know, U.S. history, when in fact there's multiple histories mm-hmm. that are kind of encompassed within our narratives. So can you, can you tell us what other ways have you dug into rethinking black history? Well, um, I also look at the historical foundations of black social studies educators and look at the ways in which they presented black history and try to connect that to uh, the contemporary ways in which we look at black history. So at this point, I'm conceptualizing a, a study that looks at black history textbooks from 1894 all the way up until the present um, to really kind of look at kind of the the trends of you know black educators through uh, throughout educational history and see how black history um, has kind of evolved um, from from the early 20th century so does that are you talking about textbooks or books that that told the perspective from the perspective of black history or are you looking at te- you know general textbooks that had told a more traditional eurocentric perspective no i'm looking at black history textbooks okay so there's there has been black educators that have written black history textbooks you know from uh, the late 19th century and actually um you know there has been black history books that were written um you know all the way from you know david walker's appeal but in terms of textbooks, mm. I'm looking at textbooks that that were adopted by uh, school systems and used at their predominantly black schools mm. during those particular times. What type of trends have you noticed over time? Well, um, the starting point, you know, the starting point of history is very important. Right. Um, yeah. When when we look at the traditional you know, textbook and the traditional um, history trajectory and and when black people enter that narrative is usually through slavery, right? Or, or how Africa enters that narrative is usually through European contact, right? Right, uh, right. So we kind of see this entry point in black history textbooks where Africa is kind of, you know, the central, you know, location, the foundation. Um, you also have these notions of um, 
criticality, meaning that, you know, the notions of race and racism is generally presented um, all the way up until, uh, well, well, the first textbook in 1894 um, really kind of explained the notion of race and racism and um, really presenting a narrative that was very counter to those history textbooks of that particular time. So this is a very, very interesting kind of conception. Um, that's that's fascinating. I'd always heard John Hope Franklin's name as being mm-hmm. someone who really helped to popularize, um, you know, uh, black history in the United States. But I'm sure a lot of people did did work before him. Um, is are, was he just influential in in helping to kind of spread the popularity of it, or is he just one in a long line of many people? I think John um, Hope Franklin, along with Carter G. Woodson are probably the um, two most influential in terms of, you know, black history. Carter G. Woodson probably would be more influential within mm-hmm. K-12 uh, because, because he wrote um, uh, five textbooks and one supplemental uh, book, you know, for for teachers. And actually, um, Carter G. Woodson's textbook, Negro in Our History, was the most popular Black history textbook up until 1947, mm. when John Hopes Franklin's "From Slavery to Freedom" um, kind of kind of blossomed, and 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 it's interesting because John Hope Franklin's book "From Slavery to Freedom" is the only textbook that spanned all three generations of Black history textbooks. Mm. Um, so even right now, there's a textbook on the market uh, "From Slavery to Freedom" uh, from John Hope Franklin from 1947 through the civil rights movement, his textbook his textbook was very popular um, all the way into now. So Carter G. Wilson, John Hope Franklin, Lilo Amos Pendleton, uh, Booker T. Washington even wrote a textbook for his uh, schools in Tuskegee. Uh, Larry Cuban, all these particular uh, Merle Epps, uh, Charles Wesley helped uh, Carter G. Wilson write uh, particular textbooks. And now probably the most um, uh, critical textbooks now written by Darlene Hines, Hines and Stanley uh, from Northwestern, as well as John Hope Franklin's uh, From Slavery to Freedom. So. So what advice would you give teachers trying to incorporate black history in their classroom? I think they should just forget everything they know about the traditional Eurocentric, um, you know, textbook. <laughs> I think a lot of times teachers uh, feel that. I'm doing black history because I present black people. Mm. Right. So it's this notion of, OK, well, I'm going to talk about this black person and now I'm doing black history. Right. So, you know, this famous you know notion of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, while I'm doing black history, but you may be doing more harm than good. So um, there's there's three kind of suggestions in which I want teachers to kind of think about when they think about, am I presenting black history in a critical, efficient way, right? So uh, the first is like, is this history through a black perspective, right? And, and, and in scholarly terms, I kind of, you know, you know, say this black epistemology, right? You know, so, so are the words coming from a black perspective and not necessarily just a centralized kind of a black perspective, but really talk about the various uh, you know, complexities within the black community are, you know, through black history. For example, like the Brown versus Board of Education is kind of lauded as this this great, wonderful uh, Supreme Court, you know, decision 
um, that integrated schools, right? Yeah. From a black perspective, a lot of black people didn't even like what the lawyers from Brown versus Board was doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because the thing about it was, it wasn't about integration. You know, it was about fairness, right? You know, so, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people from the black community was like, you know, this is this is not what we want. You know, uh, even black, you know, you know, dignitaries like W.B. Du Bois, uh, you know, really were very critical of Brown versus Board and the ways in which the lawyers, Thurgood Marshall and and the others were kind of approaching this notion because it wasn't that black schools were bad. This is the fact that they, they, they were underfunded, right? It needed to be, you know, funded a little bit better, but the lawyers for Brown versus Board didn't think that was a good strategy, right? And I, I always remember um, reading, and I've read it with my students, um, for example, Bell Hooks, mm-hmm. um, talking about, you know, moving from a segregated school where she felt so much support, mm-hmm. you know, um, for who she was, her aspirations, or her dreams, to an, uh, an integrated, primarily white school where she felt you know, very looked down upon, felt like she wasn't valued, um, and felt like her education suffered. And I, I just, you know, and then you just also get the narrative of, of the Brown versus Board solved um, educational inequities, um, which <laughs> the evidence is stronger and stronger that we have so many of, you know, the legacies of, of um, inequity still in schools. Well, well, it's interesting because I did a, uh, a project with a bunch of uh, uh, juniors in high school a few years back for the 50, the 60th anniversary of Brown versus Board. So the students did oral histories of people in South Carolina who were the first to integrate their schools. And what what came out from that particular assignment? Uh, one one student asked about the students and how did the students, you know, interact with them and how did they treat them, etc. And you know, participant after participant said the students were okay my classmates were okay it was the teachers interesting that gave us the most problem the teachers were um really racist towards the particular students and this is from you know a group of people from the upstate of south carolina so i don't want to generalize you know the whole um you know south or uh, a country uh for integration but but based on these particular uh, participants experiences Student kids were kids, but the teachers, the adults, were the ones that really um, gave them them a bad time in the classroom. There's a, a podcast called um, "The Problem We All Live With." I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone's listened to it um, about school integration. It talked about some of the schools around Ferguson, Missouri, and there's a particular story of a young girl. and And really, the hardest part of it listening to is the parents talking about the integration of schools. Um, and that was the the group that was the most fiercely opposed to um, a black students entering this particular school. Um, anyway, so I, I highly recommend it. Um, what what were you going to say is your, your second um, uh, advice you have for teachers, LeGarrette? All right, so uh, the first was black perspective. The second one is this notion this notion of intersectionality and not necessarily, you know, accentuating, um, you know, blackness, but really kind of, uh, expanding the narrative, not just from this kind of black male, you know, centric perspective, but really opening up the narrative for, you know, through gender, through class, through sexuality, ability, religion, age, uh, because because sometimes when we do black history, 
we revert back to the ways in which we do the traditional narrative, which is through white male Eurocentric um, uh, middle class Protestant, and we, you know, black male uh, middle class uh, Protestant, et cetera, et cetera. So we really need to kind of break that, um, you know, dichotomy. And then also, um, you know, teachers really need to look at this notion of the black aesthetic and kind of reimagining, um, um, you know, the way in which blackness is performed um, through black uh, beauty, through black masculinity, through black femininity, uh, and how these particular narratives look at kind of the black aesthetic, right? Um, yeah, and for just for our viewers who who maybe are less familiar, do you how would you define um, in both intersectionality and the black aesthetic? Like, what could you could you describe those terms just a little bit? Right. So with with intersectionality, we really want to you know, look past the, the uh, you know, male-dominant um, um, historical perspective and kind of look at kind of the complexities of, of what it is to be um, not only Black, but also the other intersections of our identity mm-hmm. and how it influences historical um, characters, right? So, um it's not just being black, but it's being black and being a woman. And how mm-hmm. does that, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, situate it? So, so a lot of people love to do civil rights, um, through the civil rights movement. And there's tons of narratives that uh, talk about, you know, black women's experiences uh, and with black males during that particular period being very discriminatory towards the women of that particular, you know, through sexist um, you know, notions and all these particular aspects. So, um, you know, so that's intersectionality uh, and all these particular aspects. And then the black aesthetic is the ways in which we kind of look at um, blackness and kind of um, define blackness through through the eyes, um, through our eyes. So mm-hmm. it's either um, there's a certain way in which black masculinity is kind of looked at in society. Uh, but how is that black masculinity looked at through the through through the eyes of history, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's always this kind of um, re reimagining of blackness through the ways in which black people attempt to look uh, through the textbook, uh, through pictures, and through other kind of uh, mediums. So for the for the intersectionality component, it would be understanding how not just race, but also class and gender mm-hmm. and race and things factor in. I, I think of oftentimes like Bayard uh, Rustin's, um, yes. sometimes his exclusion in the civil rights movement and how the complexity of his sexual orientation, um, being gay at the time, how that played into his role in the civil rights movement and maybe his exclusion from textbooks even today. You know, it's funny because um, there's this uh, thought process that, um, to be exceptional, uh, particularly to be um, to be black and exceptional, there are certain characteristics that you have to employ to be black and you know exceptional. So, so the major narrative during that particular time was that hey, but no, he can't be the leader of the civil rights movement, right? Because he's gay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we just can't have those particular. So we need a religious person, right? We need somebody um, that has money or that's middle class and. So you see, you know, the black working class being left out of these traditional narratives, right? And not really exploring how black working class people really explored uh, 
you know, civil rights. So, yeah. I think the um, the Choices program out of Providence actually has a pretty neat uh, activity that looks at women's voices during the civil rights movement um, that I think might be a good resource for teachers to check out. So, LeGarrett, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think that I've learned a lot from this discussion, and I hope that our, I imagine our viewers did as well. Um, LeGarrett, can you tell us where people can find your work online or what other resources um, or places they can find the other things that you've done? Well, I do have a academic uh, EDU page, uh, and it's LeGarrett J. King, uh, and you can find all my work there. Uh, as well as a ResearchGate uh, page as well, and they can find all my work there. Great. We will link to both of those in um, our show notes. And just thank you so much for joining us today. We, we hope people will continue the discussion um, online and in other spaces. Make sure to check out the show notes because we'll obviously have uh, some really great resources there. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. Dan, Dan, guess what? What's up, Michael? We've got our first five-star review. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay. It's by Hero Brainstorm. Up oh, Brainstorm, which is still awesome. I followed Dan and Mike on Twitter for the past few years through SS Chat. I'm so happy they are taking the time to put out a pod with so many great teachers sharing their ideas. I must interest... A must listen for anyone in the SS chat and world geography chat communities. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Well, that's awesome. So get your five star review up there and we'll read it on the air. And I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. And until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off.